We are taking a break and I wanted to do something specific on this because it is clearly a big thing that's going on, um, especially for the people that are caught up in it, of course, uh, but also on our minds as well, the situation in Ukraine and uh, surrounding areas as well. And um, normally when you start thinking about giving a sermon, doing a talk, the question at the top of the page is, well, why does this matter? Why is this of any interest? And I think you want to sort of show people why this matters, why they should listen, basically. Uh, why they should give you sort of 15, 20 minutes of their time to listen to what you have to say. And part of writing a talk is trying to sort of show that, that it matters, that, it, that it's something they should think about, consider. But interestingly, with a topic like this, with what's going on in the world at the moment, we don't have to work very hard to demonstrate that this really matters. The bigger challenge, the bigger question, I think, is what difference can it make? What difference can it make to have 60 or so people in a hall on a Sunday morning in England at 10 o'clock, thinking about this together, praying, discussing, reflecting. That's the challenge. That's the challenge of something like this. We can talk about it, but what difference does it make? What difference is it going to make to us? And what difference can we make to the world around us? That, I would love to think God might have something to say about that this morning. And I want to do it under three headings that I've, uh, I hope come faithfully from Scripture which I think will say something to us about faith in times of conflict. I'm just going to apologize at the beginning if I get a bit emotional. I got quite emotional at the nine o'clock, and I think they've just about finished wiping up the tears from where I was standing. And I'm hoping that that means that that's all come out and uh, I can just speak to you, but I've got a feeling it probably won't be because I think it, I'm finding it very emotional. But these are the three things that I wanted to uh, share with you this morning, I think, from what Jesus shows us and speaks to us about. Firstly, that when it comes to, to conflict, war and violence, sadly, tragically, horrendously, we should expect it. In that first of those readings that David read for us, when Jesus is answering his disciples' questions about the future, he says, you will hear of wars and rumours of wars. Now, in a context, they're looking at the temple. And like most of the prophecy in the Bible, there's a now and a not yet to what is said. There's something of relevance for them at the time, and then there's something which is going to continue to be of relevance for uh, humanity going forward until the time when Jesus finally returns to inaugurate his kingdom. There's a now and a not yet. The now for them in this passage, as they're at uh, the Mounds of Olives talking about the temple and the destruction, was that Jerusalem itself was going to be heavily ransacked and destroyed just a few decades later, within the lifetime of some of the people that were there talking to Jesus. Jerusalem was uh, horrifically uh, annihilated, really, uh, by the Romans uh, just a few decades later. So it's a clear now to this. Some of the things Jesus is talking about are talking about what's going to happen within their lifetime. But there's also a not yet. that Jesus also puts it in the context of uh, them saying will be the end of the age. And part of that is that Jesus says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. You see, the Christian story is that, that God is the creator, God is sovereign, but he's delegated that sovereignty to us. He's made humans to act as his regents, as it were, to look after this planet that he's made to look after each other, to look after our relationship with God, to love it in the way that he loved it. And he gave us that special responsibility of looking after it, looking after each other 
loving like he loves. And from the very beginning onwards, and none of us can completely be absolved from blame on this, we haven't loved uh, the world, people, or God in a way that we should have. We've all fallen short of that time and again. And so that sovereignty, that, that lordship, if you like, that God has over the world was delegated to us so that we had a part to play, that our actions would have consequences, that life had meaning. If our actions had no consequences, if the things that we did didn't make any kind of difference, then life wouldn't really have any meaning. Life wouldn't really make any difference. And yet God graciously has given us responsibility. That the things that we do, the things that we say, the way that we love or don't love, care or don't care, has an impact. At times that can be positive, and we can make a positive impact, and at times it can be negative. And when you combine people that have gone so far away from God's way of living with the power that can come, particularly in the modern world, well, we don't have to look very far to see the continual reminder of the consequences that in delegating that sovereignty to us and giving us that responsibility, there is this pattern of humanity leading itself into war and violence and conflict. But does that mean that we give up hope? Is Jesus just telling us that so that we can just put our hands up and go, well, Jesus said there were going to be wars, so let him get on with it? No. When Jesus warns people about things, he always does it from a heart of love. We heard about that last week as well. But of course, his words have proven to be true. Someone did some uh, statistics. They took a definition of war as being uh, an active conflict that claims more than a thousand lives. So looking back through history, any kind of armed conflict which has claimed more than a thousand lives as being the definition of the war. And they wanted to look back through recorded human history. How many years are there that we think there weren't any conflicts that claimed more than a thousand lives? And of the past 3,400 years, just 8%, 8% of recorded history, they couldn't find a conflict. And that's just a conflict which has claimed more than a thousand years, more than a thousand lives. If you bring it down a bit and have conflicts which might claim smaller numbers, then there won't be any years in all of recorded human history. Just in the 20th century alone, at least 108 million people were killed in wars. Just in the 20th century. That's twice the entire population of Britain at that time. Twice over killed in war in one century. So sadly horrifically, tragically, we should expect it. But that doesn't mean that we have to accept it, approve of it, or throw our hands up and say that nothing can be done about it. Let me take you to that other reading that David read. This is from the prophet Jeremiah, and it was written to God's people as they, the victims of conflict, were being taken off to Babylon, being exiled. They took the, the cream, as it were, of society and took them off to Babylon. We did it when we looked at the book of Daniel. And Jeremiah wrote them this letter from God as they went. How are we to respond? How are we to live? How are we as God's people meant to interact with the people around us? Are we meant to put up the barriers? Or are we going to say, well, you just get on with this conflict and we'll just bunker down and wait until Jesus comes back to save us? Thank you very much. 
No, listen to the way that Jeremiah tells God's people to take an active role in seeking the good of the places where they're called to live. Listen to these words. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Increase in number, don't decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have called you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. It's that verse. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Now, the specific application of that is not directly for us. This is Jeremiah speaking specifically to these Israelites that were carried off into Babylon and giving them specifics of how they were to live as God's people in exile. But the principle behind it shows us what God's heart is for his people in all the different places that we're now scattered throughout the world. That God doesn't want us to remove ourselves from the challenges and the difficulties and the violence and the hatred of this world. He wants his people to, to uh, what does it say, to seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you and to pray to the Lord for it. He wants us to have an active role in the world. That when we pray those words, your kingdom come, your will be done, we really mean it. That we want to see that love and truth and justice and peace of God's kingdom coming and infiltrating the kingdoms of this world. That as his people take that message out of grace and forgiveness and justice and truth, that it changes the hearts of people around the world. That we make a positive difference for the Lord in the way that we pray and in seeking peace and prosperity for the people around us, wherever that may be, Britain, Ukraine, Russia, anywhere. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Yes, we are, in a sense, traveling through this life, and one day we'll be in our forever home with the Lord. And he remakes the heavens and the earth in this wonderful new creation, which is free from sin, suffering and sickness and death. One day we'll be there. In a sense, we're traveling through this life. But we're not to put the blinkers up. We're not just to bunker down. God wants his people to be involved in bringing positive transformation as we make that journey through. To seek the peace and the prosperity of the world around us, to pray for it and to want to make a difference. We are, as it were, ambassadors of God's kingdom, calling the people of the nations to find this hope, this life and this joy that we have in Jesus. I've been very struck by, well, lots of things over the last couple of weeks coming out from Ukraine, incredible stories. One of the ones that's really stuck with me has been how some of the ambassadors of other countries have stayed in Ukraine, in Kiev. They had the opportunity to leave. I don't think anyone would have thought badly of them if they'd taken that opportunity to go back to their home country, back to their families, back to safety, back to security, to come out and just sort of comment from afar. But so many from all different countries have stayed they stayed because they love this country that they've been the ambassador to. They love the people and they want to help both their own nationals but also the people around them. They want to help them through this devastating time. It's an incredible example of bravery and it's an incredible example of loving people that, that aren't where you come from, but they love them as fellow humanity. 
And to me, it gives a picture of what it can be like for us as Christians to be these ambassadors of a different kind of kingdom. That we're not fighting for territorial gains or the increase of our borders or anything like that. We're coming with a different kind of kingdom. A kingdom of love and truth and justice. A kingdom without borders. A kingdom that welcomes anybody and everybody. And we can be like those ambassadors. God isn't calling us to take ourselves out of the world, but to be fully engaged in the world. To be doing what we can, praying and seeking the peace and prosperity of the people that we meet along the way, whether that's locally in the way that we live our lives here in Wick, Littlehampton, or whether it's adding our voice to things like uh, petitions, international condemnation of unwarranted violence and military action. At every end of that scale, we can play our part in seeking the peace and the prosperity of those places uh, where God has placed us, just like those ambassadors in Ukraine, staying there in order to love the people around them. God wants us to stay and to love the people around us, to seek the peace and prosperity of this city. So sadly, we are to expect it, but graciously and wonderfully, we are able to pray and act against that violence and that conflict. And then my third and final point to reflect on. Wonderfully, we need not ultimately fear it. I want to put a big caveat on that. Because war is terrifying. And who am I here to say that people shouldn't be scared when the bombs are falling? Of course they should. It's terrifying. It's horrendous. And I've got no experience of that, and I've got no right to comment on it. But what I also know is that ultimately we don't need to fear death. In Christ, there is life in all its fullness. There is life eternal. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, in Greece, one of the earliest letters written that's in our New Testament. And he writes in that famous chapter all about life and death and resurrection. And having shown them that Jesus has really risen from the dead, having called up those 500 or more people who saw him after he really rose from the dead, he makes the point that in Jesus, death has lost its sting. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? It hurts, doesn't it? I always say this at funerals and other times of people, death hurts. No avoidance. But the promise of Jesus is that the pain is temporary. And one day it will be replaced with an eternal joy that is so wonderful, so glorious, so happy, that it will make even even the hardest sufferings in this life, in comparison, be a momentary suffering. It doesn't take away from the pain and the fear that people no doubt feel when they're caught in the middle of it. Of course it doesn't. That's very real. 
but we can see and we can say that ultimately death does not have the victory. That where once we were mortal, now death itself is mortal. Our death will die. Death becomes temporary and life becomes everlasting in Christ. He swaps it around for us takes away the sting of death and gives us the gift of life because he made that exchange for us on the cross. He got off where he did not deserve so that we don't have to. We're free to live in his grace and have this life that lasts, that we want to hold out to people, a life that lasts. Death is scary. War is frightening and horrible and horrendous. But we can say that in Christ, trusting in him, trusting in all that he's done, we need not ultimately fear it. It's worth letting God embed that now in times when we're not having to fear it. That when the time comes, we can say with confidence, where, O death, is your victory. Where, O oh death, is your sting? I remember the last time I got stung by a bee. I was outdoors in Cambridge. And I like it. You know those times you get stung? You don't know what it is at first. You just sort of feel kind of rustling around and you go, you just go to brush it away. And I think what happened was I caught the bee or the wasp or whatever it was and flicked it away, but it left a sting in my neck. It really hurt. And I'd forgotten. It'd been years since I'd been stung. I forgot how much it hurt. And someone came and they, they pulled the sting out and it still stung for a bit. Well, it's like Jesus has taken the sting of death out. It still hurts, really hurts for a bit, but it won't last forever. Instead, those barbs, the sting of death, he willingly took on himself so that we don't have to leave in fear of them. As I said, I don't want to take away anything from the reality of the situation for people who are living under that very real fear of death. But for us today, we can take such confidence now and let God embed that so deeply in us that we're trusting him that whatever this world might throw at us, whatever may come, both the great joys that we see, the wonderful things, as well as the hard things. And there are wonderful things. Someone said, whenever you're feeling overwhelmed by that difficult news, look for the people that are helping. There are always people that are helping. Yes, there's things in our human hearts that have taken us away from God's plan, but there's also wonderful things, good things, incredible acts of generosity and kindness. Did you see the pictures of uh, the people in the German train station holding up the signs of how many spaces they had? Or um, I saw a photo this morning of um, people in Poland who just lined up empty buggies and prams along the train station so that when those families from Ukraine arrived, if they had little kids, they could just put their children in a buggy. Incredible. It's all there. Don't be overwhelmed by it. So that's kind of where I want to finish, really. Just those three things to think of. The hope gives us the sense to believe that we can trust in Jesus and, and, and hear from him and, and be encouraged by him, even in the worst of situations that this world can throw up. Yes, tragically, war and violence is around us. But graciously, he invites us to pray and act, to seek the peace and the prosperity of the places where we live. And wonderfully, ultimately, 
We don't need to fear it. So here's a few suggestions for ways to respond. Anyone who would like to give this morning, we're going to collect it all in and we're going to make a donation through One Challenge, which is a, a mission charity that Rogers Purdom's involved with. Uh, and they've got people uh, who are based in Ukraine. And then their international organization is arranging a relief uh, giving campaign to get the money straight there to buy things to help both people in Ukraine and people fleeing. So everything that's given this morning um, across our services will all be given uh, to them. You can leave some money in the plate on the way out if you'd like to. There's also, uh, we're just trying out a card machine if you want to make a gift by card. You can do that and we'll collect it all in and we'll give a gift together. Obviously you can do your own as well, but we just thought we've got to have some way of responding uh, here this morning. So that's one way of doing it. We can pray. We're praying online tonight. Pray for yourself. There's lots of good resources out there. A number of people in our church are involved in an organization called FIBA, who again work with lots of people in Ukraine. If you go for just Google FIBA, you'll find their website with some powerful uh, and actually very inspiring videos from the ground, from Christians on the ground in Ukraine. Just search FIBA uh, and you'll find them on there. They're also a mark linked to it on the um, one of the posts or something online as well. Uh, so you can do that as well. So give, pray, add your voice. Add your voice. Write to people, write to our MPs. What's our government doing about it? How are we responding? How are we loving? Are we showing those values that our country is built upon in the way that we treat people from other parts of the world? Add your voice. Write to them. Make it known. Um, thank them for things we're already doing and add voice from a Christian perspective for more that we could be doing in every sense. Because don't underestimate the way that God can use people to make a difference in this world. Yes, we expect war, but graciously he invites us to pray and act against it. And I want to finish, having given you those just a few practical ideas, and there's lots more, of course. I want to finish by reading you something to show how faith can make a difference and inspire people to want to make a difference, to stand up and be counted, to speak out from that position of trusting in Jesus. Let me read you an excerpt from a letter written by some priests. In it they state, we mourn the trial that our brothers and sisters in Ukraine were undeservedly subjected to. We remind you that the life of every person is a priceless and unique gift of God. And therefore we wish the return of all soldiers both Russian and Ukrainian, to their homes and families, safe and sound. We bitterly think about the abyss that our children and grandchildren in Russia and Ukraine will have to overcome in order to once again begin to be friends with each other, respect and love each other. We respect the God-given freedom of man, and we believe that the people of Ukraine should make their choice on their own, not at gunpoint, without pressure from the West or the East. It's a bold letter to add their voice, those, those Orthodox priests. Even more bold when you realize that those are Orthodox priests in Russia. Speaking out. Their faith makes a difference. Let's ask, let's seek the Lord. Firstly, for an end to the violence. But also that his people, all of us, all around the world would seek the peace, the prosperity, and pray for the places he's called us to be. We're not just passing through with blinkers on. 
We're not just bunkering down until Jesus comes back. We're ambassadors of an eternal kingdom. And through us, through his people all around the world, God's kingdom can come, is coming, will come.